Do you have any idea how much God loves you? The great God of the universe, let's keep talking to him. Father, who but you, our great God, could turn bricks and mortar and wooden benches and carpets into a holy place of worship? Who but you could lift us up and seat us in heavenly places with you? You are a holy and a great God. And if our God is for us, then who can be against us? Who spared not his own son, but gave him willingly that he might die in our place on the cross of Calvary, that we could have our sins forgiven by receiving Jesus Christ. He that has the Son has life. And he that does not have the Son does not have life, but is condemned already. Oh, our Father, it is good to be in your place. It is good to be in this holy place with you. It is good that you would be pleased to receive our offerings of praise from stammering lips. For we are but dust, and you are a holy, awesome, eternal God. And Lord, you love us so much, you love your children, and you long for us to love each other and to build something good together. To understand the value of peace and harmony together in terms of the mission of Christ. Please, God, I pray, cause us to be gracious and merciful and thankful people. I pray that we might worship you always and only. That we might cast aside all other things that would distract us from you. Lord, may we have no idols in our life. May you be our only God. For you are a jealous God, and rightly so, because you purchased us with the precious blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, proclaim through your servant the truth. Open up our hearts. Cause us to have receptive, submissive, receiving hearts, Lord. Break us that you might build us into something powerful for your name's sake, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you just sometimes overwhelmed by the thought of someday Jesus Christ coming and, and just that moment being seized forever, being together Amidst all the hardships and struggles that so many are going through, and one of these days, though, it's, it's going to all pass away, and it's going to be glory forever. You know, um, as people of faith, those who, who've discovered the truth, we tend toward confidence as it relates to rightness and truth. And so we should. We should be people of great confidence in the word of God. Unfortunately, sometimes that attitude can leap away from confidence in the truth, in scriptural truth, 
to have confidence in our own rightness. So much so that it can lead to confidence that we are right all the time in every situation. And that rightness that we are overconfident about, I'm not talking about Scripture, I'm talking about us, Sometimes that rightness causes us to maneuver and manipulate to make the right thing as we see it happen. Even if we have to go through some people, some brothers and sisters, in the process. Even if it results in us casting moral or spiritual doubt, question on people's character. To get what we think is the right thing. I want to talk to you this morning about some bad-mouthing and presumptuous bragging. Some more messy-mouth ministry that James continues to unfold for us here. And today in particular, in James chapter 4 verses 11 through 17, I want to, I want to zero in on... This strategy that we use our mouths to both play God and set him aside at the same time. We promote our tongue to divine status by speaking pridefully, arrogantly, wreaking havoc in the community of faith in particular... I want to talk to you this morning about ousting arrogance from the Christian community. And I want to bring my thoughts from James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. There's two sections here, and and both are related to how we speak. It concludes the continuing thought that James has, has brought all along on speech and the carnage that our tongues can produce. So as he continues along, having just said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in verse 10. He says, brothers, and that identifies the audience and the problem. This is all within the church stuff. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. That appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is this is the word of God. The bad news is, when you're finished knowing about it today and you don't do it, you sin. There's two messy mouth problems here. 
as I mentioned. The first is slander. Brothers, do not slander one another or speak against. In fact, it's the same word used three times in this one verse. It's this word kataleleo, which is against speak. Speaking against. Three times. Uh, Pretty profoundly um, significant when it's mentioned three times in one verse. And by the way, this is not a new thought that James has, has come up with. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16. It, uh, it states in the law, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Your people. Do not go about speaking against or spreading the speaking against of, of people among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. And under what authority? God says, I am the Lord. On my authority, I state this. And so James is is reestablishing the truth that's found throughout Scripture. It certainly was a centerpiece of Jesus' ministry among us. And and slander is really the dirty play tactic of choice to win a battle for one's own way. Because we have to center this in the context of the text. It talks about what what causes fights and quarrels among you. You want your own way. You don't get your own way. And so you find a way to get your own way. And the way that you find is to speak against your brothers or sisters. To slander them. In particular, to cast doubt on their spiritual caliber. Because after all, I'm right. They're opposed to me. They must be spiritually inferior. That's what he's talking about. The second messy mouth problem, and we'll expand upon that in a few minutes. The second messy mouth problem found in verses 13 to 17 is with respect to speaking presumptuously. It's living with God as an afterthought, if a thought at all. All of which, he says, is evil. In fact, by a person's mouth, they can characterize themselves as practical atheists. Our our mouth in these cases has been self-promoted way beyond its pay grade, is what James is really talking about. Who do you think you are? And so I want to I address these two particular mouth issues with two questions this morning. And the first is this, to judge or not to judge? That is the question. Because in fact, in this particular text, there's a lot of talk in, the first, in, in verses 11 and 12 about judging. Uh, to judge or not to judge? What exactly is being prohibited here? You don't live too long in the Christian community without people coming to you ultimately and saying, you have no right to judge me. Don't you just, don't you just want to pound somebody when they say that? And then that compounds the sin, doesn't it? You have no right to judge me. And often, they build their theology right here. After all, James said, Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And so they come with this pompous, cocky attitude like, who are you to judge me? And these are people uh, generally with sort of a saggy faith, knowing enough scripture just to be dangerous. I want you to look carefully at what's actually being stated here. What is it we aren't to do? It's really quite simple, verse 11. Do not speak against 
your brother or your sister. That's the particular sin against here. It's not actually judging sin. It's speaking against your brother or sister. And in particular, the judging that goes on, as it's stated here, is when you do that, you are judging the law. Don't do that, God says. Don't do that. Don't judge the law. Because now, in addition to slandering your brother or your sister, you're judging the word of God. You're judging the law of God. Now, not only do you have man against you, but you've got God against you. That's a very bad combination. Now, um, some of you are saying, yes, but you skipped something. It says there, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him. I'm going to have to get grammatically technical with you again this morning to, to really help you out here. I know a lot of people, are, in the first service, their eyes were rolling back in their heads. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. You remember back in public school when you learned things like um, participles and, and, and conjunctions and conjunctive and disjunctive conjunctions? You all remember that? Come on, yes, you do. Well, you know what? There was a few people in the first service who did, so what can I say? I remember arriving at seminary and they started floating these things around. Participles and verbs and adverbs and everything. I was like, what are you talking about? And we were supposed to have already learned that somewhere in school. And I suspect that we did learn it somewhere in school. But like you looking at me this morning, it's like, hey, that thing is long gone. <laughs> well, I, I need to tell you this because... Because there's a science to the interpretation and understanding of Scripture. And if you don't use the proper rules of grammar, which you have, you just have forgotten them, then you can make up all kinds of wild speculative things about the Scriptures and form your own cult if you want. And there's a whole lot of that going on out there right now. People just freewheeling, making the Word of God say anything they want it to say. There's a science of hermeneutics. Pastor Calvin's taking a course right now in that very subject, that very science. It's about grammar. It's about history. It's about culture. It's about how the scriptures were actually written to the original audience and how they are outlined here. So I blabbed a whole lot. Now, now I've got to tell you what this says. In fact, in this verse, verse 11, it's two participles joined with one article and a conjunctive conjunction. All right? Okay, so this is what we know about this. He's really saying here, the one who speaks against his brother, i.e., the one judging that way, is problematic. Okay? He's not making two different subjects, slander and judging. He's talking about a type of judgmentalism that's slanderous. It's a further elaboration. Whenever you have two participles uh, that are connected to one article, it's the same one who... <laughs> you're looking at me, I know. The same one who is slandering is the one who is slanderously judging. Okay, that's what the deal is here. It's not a categorical statement that, hey, you can't judge me. That's not what this is all about. This is very, very specifically grammatical. It's slanderously judging. James doesn't outlaw judging. In fact... We know throughout the scriptures that we are called upon to be discerning and to identify things that displease God and stop doing them. And we're also encouraged, to be, because we live in community with each other, that we're supposed to also be responsible for each other. 
You know, people say, I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't mind. You know what? You're never going to find that in the scriptures anywhere. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says, come to Jesus so you can have a personal relationship with him. That's our lingo. By the way, the word personal only appears seven times in the whole Bible. And it's never related to God. Ever. We don't have a personal relationship with God. We have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the real relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we have Jesus Christ. But we don't have a, a personal, um, individualistic relationship with Jesus Christ whereby we can come to each other and say, you can't judge me because I'm, I'm, I have a personal relationship with God and he and I talk and if God's upset with something, he'll be sure to tell me. From the very beginning of the Bible, God went to Cain for what reason? To ask him, where's your brother? He says, what, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. I can fast forward to the book of Joshua where Achan sinned. And did he go before the the community of Israel and say, don't worry about it, folks. I know I sinned. No big deal. I have a personal relationship with God. He's going to tell me what needs to happen. No, no, the whole community suffered a tremendous defeat in battle because of the sin of a person within the community. In the New Testament, fast-forwarding to the church of Corinth, they were entertaining an individual who was immoral, sexually immoral in the congregation, calling itself a brother in Christ. And Paul says, what is the deal here? You're not confronting this guy? What is your problem? Do you not realize that a little bit of leaven works its way through the whole batch And then he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, Are we not to judge those inside the church? And the answer is, Don't be feeble on me. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And James, by the way, would be entirely hypocritical if he was saying that categorically you don't judge one another because the very last two verses in his letter are the discernment with respect to sin and going after someone who's sinning and trying to rescue them. you got to make a judgment to do that. Sometimes, you know, we as Christians avoid the idea of judging one another. We say, well, you know, it's not mine to judge. Well, you already have what you're really saying. Okay. I I don't know whether the Lord is with me or against me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, okay. The Lord's back with me. The Shekinah glory, can you see it? All right. And now we're going to talk about bragging a little bit later. That'll be a problem. It's not mine to judge. What you really have done is you've judged. You're just choosing not to confront. The word of God is very clear. Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 said, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them. You have to make a judgment to do that. You confront sin. We've already talked about the Apostle Paul. What I think James is talking about here is, is more closely related to what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgment. That's what he's talking about. This is about slander. 
This is about speaking against people on the basis of appearances, on snooping around, your own innuendos, your slight of speech, your implications, manipulating intentions to get your own way. That's what this is about, presumption of motive. You don't know what's going on in somebody's heart. This is about ripping a brother or a sister to somebody else, generally, because they are opposing something you want to do. That's what this is really about. And, and how does it judge the law? Because that's what he says here. When you're speaking against a brother judging him, you're speaking against the law and judging it. What law is he referring to? Well, he's already told us earlier, and in fact, he gives you a hint at the, at the end of verse 12. He's already told us about the royal law. The royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your brother or your sister as yourself. Love that person in the community right beside you as yourself. James has already stressed that at the end. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Because the royal law says you're to love. So, so the, the idea is here... I, I know what I'm supposed to be in the community of faith with my brothers and sisters. I'm supposed to love them as I love myself. But, uh, by the way, I'm slandering that person who's over on that side of the church. And be, I, I'm making this decision that, that, spiritually speaking, they're kind of inferior right now. They're not really walking with God. I'm, 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 I'm really questioning their faith. I'm really, in fact, questioning their whole relationship with God so that I can get my way. And, oh, oh yes, I know about the law that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But in this case, because I'm so right about what I want to do, I will override the law in this case, in this particular situation, based on my own judgment. You are judging the law. You are saying, in this particular instance, God's word doesn't apply to me. Oh, it might apply to you and you and you, but in this case, because I'm so right, it doesn't apply to me. That's a serious business. Because James goes on to say, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? There is only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. The same person, the lawgiver and the judge. The one who made the law is the one who judges it, and discerns it. His name is Jesus. Judging sin is expected, but judging the law is forbidden. That's, this text is, do not slander your brother or sister, and in so doing, overrule the law, in which case you're judging it. By the way, he says this kind of judgment is judging with evil thoughts. You become slanders with malicious judgments. The climate of this whole discussion is what causes fights and quarrels among you. The simple reality is we are trying to become the lawgiver and judge. In the same way as he says, don't presume to be teachers, don't presume to be judges of people's eternal destiny and their heart situation and condition with God. We are not talking about blatant outward sin. We are talking about not getting your own way in the community of faith and making a spiritual discerning judgment on it about destiny. Because he says eternal destiny, judgments, are a divine prerogative exclusively. 
He is the one who is able to save and destroy. There's only the one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life and is condemned already. Crucial. Reality. It is God who determines salvation, eternal salvation and eternal ruin. He's the one who makes those discerning judgments. He's the one who knows what's happening inside of someone's heart. He's the one who knows whether it's authentic or not. It's not for us. We've not been granted that. In fact, um, human judging is really a delegated exercise and as agents of the one judge subject to utmost care and concern. When we are evaluating when we are discerning, when we are confronting sin, you better know this every time. It's a delegated responsibility. You're an agent of the one lawgiver and judge. You better handle it carefully and handle it right and handle it scripturally. In fact, when he says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor or your brother and sister when you're supposed to be loving them? Because that's the law that's been laid down to Christians. That's what we're to specialize in. Back in chapter 2, he says, specialize in mercy over judgment. Don't be quick to make an assessment and an evaluation of where somebody's heart is at with the Lord. Be people who specialize in mercy. In fact, slandering a brother or sister in Christ, overriding or judging the law itself, isn't a Christian activity at all. You understand that? It's not a Christian activity. It puts you outside of the parameters of ordinary Christianity. All right. So the first messy mouth thing is, it's time to be merciful toward one another. But there's a second section here. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow. And he's talking, the second question that I want to address this morning is to brag or to boast or presumptuously plan. This, this, by the way, is is more hyper-independence. It's it's not dissimilar to what we've just talked about. And it, it has everything to do with what we talk about, how we speak. It's just not about judgment. It's more about business now. It's more about life. To the Christian businessman here this morning, to the international wholesaler, to the infomercial addict. Are you getting rich quick? Is it working for you, that no down payment thing? Nothing down? It's working for the guys who are presenting the idea. Or the extremely talented entrepreneur among us, or the sole proprietor among us, or the naturally gifted person... Beware of the allure of the self-made man or self-made woman of North America. That philosophy. That, 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 that all I have to do is just grab the brass ring and, and God is just waiting to bless me. And so this individual that he's talking about here, or individuals, or what he's clearly seen within the community of faith, is a whole raft of people not taking God seriously. And that's a really bad situation to be in when you call yourself the people of God. 
to not be taking God seriously. And that's precisely, James is basically saying, what kind of faith is this? What kind of faith is it that you just get up and you say, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to that city. I'm going to hang out for a year there. I'm going to make a whole bunch of money. That's what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm, I, I've basically made up my mind. He says, what kind of faith is that? How are you any different, James says, than, than before you came to know Christ? How are you any different than the, the, the entrepreneur who's, who's marketing another product in the booth beside you? That's the way he talks too. He doesn't know the Lord. Rather, James gives here a, a small treatise on how to live confidently amid the uncertainties of life. If there's one thing certain... It's that life is uncertain. I I know I'm preaching to the choir when I talk about that to you, to anybody else who happens to live in our world today. All you have to do, in our prayers we've heard it, on the news we've seen it. You get up one morning and you have no idea what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to finish the day or not. So out of here, I think there are four quick principles that we need to pull out and look at. He says here, you're saying today, tomorrow we go in this and that city, spend a year there, carry on and make money. Well, that presupposes that you know tomorrow's coming. He says, uh, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Do we not agree that we have zero control over anything that is unfolding at any given time in life? So shouldn't we live tentatively, not arrogantly? Proverbs 27, 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. Tell the people in Fukushima, I think the First Baptist Church of Fukushima. Tell them that today or tomorrow they're going to spend a year and make money. They don't know whether that reactor is going to blow up and destroy the whole area. Today or tomorrow? You presume on God? I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll have success. It will always follow me because God is at my disposal. Is that what you think? That he chases you around, follows you around in hopes that he can take care of your bad ideas? Like you're the Lord of your life? And then he says this, what is your life? He likens it to a mist in a hot Middle Eastern morning. He says, your life is at best a vapor that does a disappearing act. It's here and gone. You don't even have any guarantees about your own living moment by moment. So, yes, live robustly, but not recklessly. Those firefighter volunteers on Friday in Listowel. They all thought they were coming home Friday night, don't you think, when they went into work Friday morning? Fire comes up. They're gone. That's why the Bible urges, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. God is speaking to your heart about embracing Jesus Christ, about welcoming Christ into your life. You don't have time necessarily to sit around and pontificate about that and consider it. 
Maybe tomorrow. Maybe a year from now. Maybe after I've made enough money. Life is a vapor. The plan you have that will require five years of development might not come to pass if you only live two and three quarter years. Do any of us here know? Do you know? Do you know how long? Do I know? Live well this moment. Then he says, um, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will. That ought to characterize your life. That ought to characterize every fabric of your thinking. You no longer live for yourself. When you came to follow Jesus Christ, James says, you, you, don't lo- you no longer live for yourself, but now the life you live, you live by faith in Christ Jesus, who gave himself for you, who loves you and gave himself for you. He purchased you. He, he bought you. He owns you. And so it, it just stands to reason, James says, that you don't, you don't make plans arrogantly and boastfully and braggadociously like tomorrow I'm going here, the next day I'm going there. I'm going to spend a year there. And oh, by the way, I'm going to come back rich. No, no, no. What, what if that's outside of the purpose of God for your life? What if that's not the exact placement that God has for you? What, what if that's not the exact timing that God has for you? I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to endorse after the fact people's choices they've made and claim that it's the Lord's will. Do you realize that every mission we take has to be, it's Jesus' mission, it's not our mission? So, well, I, I know, I know what God wants. I mean, you know, I, I don't really have to go and consult people. I don't really have to go and, and, and seek an audience. I don't really have to, have to um, um, agonize over the realities of whether or not it's the Lord's will. I just, I know. I, I, don't, I don't have to. It says in the Bible, the counsel, in the counsel of many is wisdom. The point that he's making here is, it's easy for us to start living like atheists without even noticing. We just go by day by day and think God is going to take care of everything and we, we lose connection with them. We lose contact with them. We stop being intentional and purposeful about how we live. We stop realizing that we are owned by another, that Jesus Christ is our master, that he reigns over our life. We stop going to him for our marching orders for the day. We stop going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what, what's, what's your purpose for me today? What do you want me to do today? What's your placement for me today? What's your plan for me today? What changes do you want me to make on my old-fashioned daytimer? That I need to change because it's not your will for me. And then, as if that isn't bad enough, you brag and you boast about what is accomplished. You're taking credit for blessings that are doled out by the divine himself. What are you thinking? Live gratefully, not boastfully. There's nothing that you have that you gained by your own savvy, by your own skill, by your own plan. 
this tomorrow, I'll go to this city, I'll spend a year and I'll make lots of money. And oh, by the way, aren't I amazing? Addicted to my own awesomeness. James doesn't get soft on this one. He says, that is pure evil. To take credit for something God has done for you. You wouldn't have anything without divine blessing. Let me just remind you that the difference between the the lifestyle and decision-making of a follower of Jesus Christ versus someone outside of Christ is worlds apart. And you need to ask yourself the question, how am I different than a person who doesn't even know God? How, how do I navigate through life that demonstrates that I actually believe Jesus Christ is in charge of my life? See, the, um, the person outside of Christ, they just go straight from their head to action. Whatever I think, I do. The Christian has a screening process. They go to my heart first. The throne room of Christ, where Christ is on the throne of my heart, and I seek his will first. How do I find his will? His will is in the word of God. His will is found by the Holy Spirit and his relationship with me and my relationship with him and walking with him in fullness of the Spirit, fullness of the Spirit. My, my um, seeking the Lord's will is found in partnerships, in the community of faith with people of faith, godly people. That's how we know the will of God. And we go there, we screen it. And then it goes to our head and we know what is right to do. And then it goes to action, we do it. That's the difference. The outlines in this text. Be careful about the messy mouth stuff. Slandering one another. Being presumptuous about our days. These things dishonor Christ. Father, thank you for um, working over our hearts today. Lord, I pray that... um, You would help us now as we just reflect on what you've said to us. Just be quiet for a few moments. Not say anything, but just listen. Listen to hear you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand in awe of the Lord as we conclude this morning. So what should we choose to do in the awesome presence of the Lord, our God, in light of his word to us. I think the first thing we need to make sure is we never sit in judgment of the word of God. That's how all heresy begins. Began in the, the garden that way. Did the Lord really say? Did God really say? It's not what God, you want God to say or what you wish he said. It's what has he said. I will not sit in judgment of the revealed will of Christ. Secondly, I will seek to specialize in mercy. You know, um, life has a way of provoking people. And God wants us in the community of faith to give each other a little bit of room. 
the confronting of sin in the scriptures is always to go to the person in private. This, what James was talking about, was slandering people publicly. It's a huge difference. We're to specialize in mercy one with the other, not to judge motives and intentions, because we really don't know. It is urgent for us not to allow ourselves to become rivals with our brothers and sisters. That's what Satan wants, is to cause dissension in a church. We're not in opposition to each other. We're not competing with one another. We're on the same team. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we're for each other in Christ. And then the final, I think, is this, that I will submit daily, my daily plans and purposes and outcomes to the sovereign God who has good purposes for me. I want to make sure that that my plans and my goals and my assessments are different than people outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That I seek the Lord's will first and foremost together with God's people. It says in the word of God, the righteous shall live by faith. James says, if you know what is good, if you know what is right to do and you don't do it, it's sin. Well, we know what's right to do. And um, that's what living by faith really looks like. So let's live by faith. That's what righteous people do who are in relationship to Jesus Christ. Our Father, we want you to know that we stand in awe of you right now that you would be so patient with us, so long-suffering, so merciful and gracious and kind. Our Father, we know that you confront sin and you cannot have sin in your presence. But Lord, way too often, God's people are not choosing to confront sin but choosing to confront one another on hunches on appearance that can be misjudged. We are not to speak against one another. We are to love our brother and our sister as ourself. And then, our Father, I pray that each day we would live with a settled consciousness that you are the sovereign God of good gifts and good purposes. And that it is our great to our great benefit to check in with you about everything and to be confident in this, that the plans and the purposes, the assessments and the goals are based on the Lord's will. This is what delights your heart. This is what it is to know what is right to do. So may our words be few, but may our actions be in faith, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.